Today, we are talking about how accounting firms fund themselves. I did not say fun because sometimes this stuff isn't really all that much fun. I said fund with a D. Or in other words, how do accounting firms capitalize themselves? Do you just use the the cash flow from the firm itself? Do you take on some debt? Do you go grab some outside investors and some equity? What are some of the options that we've seen or experienced? And what are some of the pros and cons around these different forms of capitalization? So how firms fund themselves here today on Drink While You Think, the happy hour conversation between a couple of pretty odd guys building their firm in very weird ways. I'm your host, Kenji. Got my trusty co-host, Matthew, here. Matthew, I have no idea. We haven't even talked about this, but do we have a sponsor today? No, we're not in the sponsor kind of mood. We're going with funding today. We're talking. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting real. No one wants to tackle this one. No, No, no I came straight out of another meeting, so I didn't have any time to be creative. So no sponsors today. We're going with it. Can, Can you do this for me, though? Just because yeah. I think the audience expects and appreciates it. Can you tell everyone that we do not have a sponsor in your sponsor voice? That's a, that's an important part of the show. Today's episode of Drink What You Think is unsponsored. <laughs> that means nobody sent us beer. So sad face emoji, sad face emoji. Nobody sent us beer. Don't forget, you can just send us beer if you want to talk to us or sponsor the podcast. Drink While You Think, podcast of champions. <laughs> All right. So what beer did you did you have there drinking for yourself? Dude, I got I got the the I I consider this summer shandy like kind of the the basic summer shandy that you go with. So I'm sure we've done this one before. Um Lion and Kugels. Even, yeah, whatever you just said. Lion and Kugels, the summer shandy. Shandies are good. They're tasty. I, I mean from a summer drinking beer, like that's a that's a solid summer drinking beer. That's like up there with the, the Mexican lagers for me. So, yeah, well, that's good. We're both drinking kind of beers of the summer. This is one. Um, has cracked it. You and I had some of this last week. Beeps beer. Isn't that kind of funny? It's like a super old school looking can. This is, um, we were drinking this last week, Matthew and I were, or actually on the weekend, we went over to three taverns. Um, which is over in Decatur, Georgia. It's one of Matthew and I's favorites. We like meeting up over there oh, yeah. and grab some here. I've got those upstairs. The beeps? Oh, you brought those no. upstairs. Oh, yeah. I got mine from Three Taverns upstairs. We'll have so this to is that. like, this is so light. This is a super summer kind of beer. And it's kind of done in this old school way. Meant to, meant to look like an old school beer. Very You're light. pouring way too low, dude, for the camera. Okay, there you go. Get a good shade there. Okay, there we go. Cheers, man. <laughs> Cheers, dude. Um. So how do you plan on starting this conversation of funding? Well, here's how I'm going to start it. Okay. I'll start with sharing how how I capitalized Acuity when I started it, which is probably how most firm owners that we speak to kind of started, and a little bit about that. And then we'll kind of jump into when you jumped in, how it changed a bit. I'd love some perspective on how you saw it at a big firm like Cherry Beckert, or even how E&Y kind of did things like that, how that capitalization changes over time. We'll even talk about maybe quick updates on things, how we're starting to see outside investors come in. But I think the common way, which is the way when I started Acuity was, we kind of just showed up, said, okay, let's just start. We didn't put money into the business. We didn't like write a check into it. It was like, let's just start kind of working and seeing if anybody hires us, right? So we didn't, 
I guess that's a form of capitalization when you're not going to get paid. Well, I mean, you're not that's any cop. And I joined Acuity, and you're well, like, oh, we're going to get, we're going to get business. to that. We're going to get to that. And I had to write to checks to the payroll for the other people. When See, I- you're jumping ahead. I just told you we're going to get to that. What that looks like. Okay. At that point. I was just going to say there's a juxtaposition of when you Correct. joined Acuity and when I joined Acuity on how much check writing was required. That's exactly right. We're going to talk about that. When I started, though, and again, most people, maybe there's some, you know, when you're getting started, maybe you write a check-in. I don't know if anyone does a whole lot of that. You know, when you get started, yeah, there's maybe a few startup costs. Maybe you decided to go have a small office lease or something. I don't think people are even doing that these days. I mean, yeah, you go on the hook for throwing your credit card, you buy a laptop, you do a few basic things. But these are services businesses. You can kind of get started pretty easily by just throwing up the website. There's not a lot to really invest in unless you need to be paying other people out of the gate. Most people don't. They're using contractors or variable comp models, which is what we did at Acuity. So really the only thing at risk, we were undercapitalized in the sense that we did not give ourselves salaries or any kind of compensation. It was, you basically paid yourself as there was money in the business. That was it. That's the only way you made you made anything was we better have some customers who put money in the business, regardless of how much we build, sold. We had to receive that check, that cash in the business before people started getting paid. And so that, that's, I the think, sweat, probably- the sweat, equity. Sweat, the equity, sweat, sweat equity. Sweat equity. So. Do you see, so before we move on beyond this, Matthew, do you see any value or should people consider saying, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and create a liability? I am going to say I should have been paid market value for that time instead of sweat equity and accrue some kind of compensation. Do you think that makes any sense to do in that early getting started? I think it only makes sense if you're in um, a solo entrepreneur. No. If it does make sense, though, if you have a partner and you have different cash flow needs. Yeah. So it totally makes sense. Continue to have an account. It's like a do to shareholders. So if we get out of whack, like historically, like we started accruing, we never did it with salary. It was always with some kind of expense that right. was flowing through the business or something like that. But like we 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 kept in whack yeah. that way. So yeah. I think that's in a partnership. So I'd say yes, but not like an amount just to have an amount, something to true up with your partners, whatever your deal is. That that's the that's the best use case for doing that. Cause I don't, I don't like putting things on the balance sheet for balance sheet's sake personally. So yeah, I, I've seen that on very few occasions and I don't think that ever comes out well. It just feels like it's um, yeah, inappropriate to do that. It's not like if you had to go back and pro forma the business, I actually wouldn't even make sense anyway. Cause your business is so small at that point, there yeah. really is no validation for taking compensation out of it. So yeah. I, don't, I think that's a little bit unusual. It's the sweat equity thing that I think most founders of accounting firms is the way they get the business going. And that's not that different from most services businesses. Yeah. But um, yeah, let's move in beyond that, right? When you start, I think, having people write checks into the business. So let's maybe take the debt side, some scenarios of when you may take on debt. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of scenarios where we would be talking about in this situation. So, like, if you decide to buy a practice, you know, obviously that's a different. Like, there's no, there's very few situations where you're not writing some form of check. There are have been some seller notes that you're you're out there, but they're all kind of. So most of the debt relates to 
in smaller businesses, say sub $10 million, you know, kind of valuation firms, like there's going to be some kind of seller financing. If there's debt, there's not a whole lot of bank debt. Unfortunately, banks suck. Uh, like, you know, um, there might be a theme in this one where you hear both me and Matthews, our feelings about the banks, but and I, I tell you what I like in, um, yeah. So I want to say what happened this week. Um, but, um, um, I, so like when we were like, when I was buying acuity, like there was some cash piece up front and then there was a seller note for your partner that was leaving. So I took on some debt, um, that I assumed it from you that you had taken on from him, you know, from, from that perspective. So, so there was some debt personally that, that I took on that we had to fund out of cash flow. You know, he was such a generous person to, to what we had happened for us is uh, he had, he wanted to see the business be successful and he had uh, created some ability for us to shrink the payments if we didn't have cash flow and increase it. If we had more cash flow, it's real. And he, that Matthew's re- yeah, referring to again, this is my former partner that I bought out and then Matthew assumed that debt. So there was a previous partner at Acuity. Many people probably don't know that, that again, this is what great, Matthew's talking about. Great he created a very great. generous note to us. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was just, um, it was really smart on his part too. Like it was just well aligned. I was really impressed when I saw it because it was really well aligned because it throttled the payment if it was the cash flow because he had been in the business for a decade like he knew yeah yeah the ebbs and flows so it it was it was structured as somebody who understood the business and appreciated and wanted to see it thrive and survive so that was really cool um, you know when I was at Ernst or Cherry um, you know the the bigger the firm you get you know when you're buying in or you get the opportunity to buy into a, a company and I didn't actually I was never an equity partner at Cherry but I'm was at least on the periphery of understanding what that or that looked like. Typically what that looked like was buying an equity and what they had was a relationship with a bank, a big bank. So those are over $10 million valuation firms, right? Uh, Ernst & Young, Cherry, all those places. You, you would you would have a, a note that you would fund, you know, that your purchase of the company and, and you basically your distributions would pay your interest and principal. And, um, and you would take out whatever you didn't want to pay in principal, I guess. Um, and then you would move forward. And a lot of those were rolling notes. Some of them were term notes. And, um, you know, as you bought more of the company, you could do it with debt or cash. And you had that, they had some pre-set up relationships to help that. So in the bigger places, it was really helpful. Um, they are really more helpful um, because they have stuff pre-set up for you. On the rest of us, you know, we got to fend for ourselves, right? Which is the challenge for the rest of us is like, if you want to pass on the company or if you want somebody to come in, you've got to figure out a way to do that. And the, the number one tool I see again is the seller note in, in that perspective. So if you're going to sell part of your business to your, um, to an up and coming partner or, or something like that, a lot of times that comes in the form of the seller note. Some people do a grant. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm totally anti-grant. Um, I think- Can you say more about that? What, yeah, what, what I mean, do you mean by that as a grant? So somebody, if some people are just given shares, um, they're so just given uh, equity. They've been here, shares. So the basis would be, let me see if I've got this right. And I want you to continue is, oh, so-and-so, you know, Susie up and comer has worked here forever. I'm just going to go ahead and give her this much. 1% equity. of the company. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's, there's an accounting problem with that in which you created income for them you know, that people, most people don't report and stuff like that, but there's a philosophical hang up I have (laughs) on that, which is, 
um, like, I don't think people value things they don't pay for. Right. So do you want an owner? If you have another owner, you want them to value the company, right? right? Uh, at a level where they're doing cash or they're buying it, even if they have to borrow money to borrow it, buy it, like there's a clear financial decision transaction on their side to do something. Um, I kind of have this problem with uh, my observations with technology companies, is, which is the basis for, for the practice that I kind of came out of and all of my historical clients is that they give stock options to employees and theoretically people are supposed to put a value on those. But if you think about that, like people just put them on their like nice to have list and they, they basically value them at zero when they're making job decisions. Even when you're talking to the, even if they negotiate them, like they value them basically at zero, they still need the salary that they need and the cash that they need. I I would agree with that. I would agree with that, especially and I'd call it the non really, really early, almost, almost founder group. Like once you're the business has been established, um, I agree with you in that options tend to be an afterthought, um, especially if historically they were kind of, I feel like they were designed to say, Hey, we're going to have to pay under market on cash comp. Now, if it's that, and they're going to have to do that. But I don't think that happens that often as much anymore. Certainly at the larger, you got to a Google or a Facebook. I mean, back then in the days, they were making huge comp already. So that's icing cherry on the top, getting equity as well. Um, yeah. But I think your point about, I hear, actually, I hear more people, I'm surprised by how many people just want to make that grant and go, oh, no, I think, you know, they've kind of, they almost consider it sweat equity. Oh, they've sweat equity. They've been here. Well, no, actually, you've been paying them. You've actually been paying them. They've been getting comped. They should be whole if you've been paying paying them fairly. So that's not a basis for bringing someone in to buy in in the business. They need to have some instrument. I think what you mentioned about, you know, my previous partner, how we worked that out. We've done some other things with team members to where you do need to set a fair value as fair as you can for the business. But I think where the flexibility can come in is on how you structure that instrument, the debt arrangement, you can make right. it flexible. You can make it non-punitive. You can make it so it doesn't have to have a lot of cash out of their pocket for it and still give them value. I think right. that's where you and I have tended to lean on from how do you bring on capitalization from people you want to come on board as business partners? Yeah. I mean, the the rub with that, I mean, in our space is also in smaller companies like ours, like it's always at the end of the day you and me financing things if you don't have a bank partner and the bank partner even requires us to guarantee everything so from a like if you like why are you doing it you better have a reason because you haven't de-risked it yeah right <laughs> like you haven't yeah. you haven't like Good. you're the guarantor on all the debt like you haven't really gotten anything even if you got some cap like it's just it's an we, interesting we've got, we've got scenario yeah yeah it's an interesting scenario, right? So we, we've done a mix of that. I think that's well, maybe just to highlight that point. Um, we've used a number of different banks. You're out right now looking at situations with banks. And if you'd like to be the bank of acuity, <laughs> you can be the sponsor. You <laughs> think we promise. <laughs> this may be one of our exceptions to the beer rule. You may not have you to buy don't us even beer. have to send us beer. You just have to give us the amount 
of line of credit we want. That we're looking uh, for. Yes. It can even be term debt. I don't even care at this point. Like you just know, some. Yeah, I think that's where we've come out a few times is where we've got a mixture today of debt and acuity. We try to keep it as debt light. That's something that's been important to you and I to keep it as free of debt as we can. But the debt is a combination between some bank debt, which for us has just been really in terms of a line of credit for working capital needs. And we've got some shareholder notes that you and I, and the reason why we've done that is because to your point, the banks really haven't de-risked anything for us. We're on there as right. personal guarantors for everything they do. Sometimes they're wanting multiple liens on things, on assets. And you're going, you're going. why is this any different than me playing bank for ourselves, you know, writing a check for ourselves? So we tend to kind of weigh it that way and oftentimes kind of self-capitalize from that standpoint. We'd love to find a good banking partner who says, oh, we believe in you guys. Oh, you've been, well, it's funny. You've been around for almost 20 years and you seem to be, you know, Hey, your debts, maybe we should lend to you. But yeah, we're still looking for that relationship. Still looking for that relationship. Um, and so I think we tend to see some kind of instrument like that is probably the most common generationally within firms or beyond just that early kind of uh, sweat equity piece is where you got to move into that phase where you need to develop some banking relationships potentially or um, – if it's passing on to someone else, self-finance, or sometimes put money back in the business like we have. We've done that for acquisitions um, and for other kind of needs as well, too. So you have to be prepared for that. Now, I guess the equity piece. Now, I guess when you talked about earlier at Cherry Beckert and at e &Y, technically, those are considered equity holders, correct? Shareholders there. They, That's correct. Like equity partners. Yeah, equity partners there. Um. And so I think you kind of covered that a little bit, how most accounting firm work, firms work and they buy in there. You know, those equity holders go out and take debt, but with a, with a, typically with a financing structure that's been put in place by that firm. Yeah. So the way that'll work, like the firm will have X number of units. Uh, a new partner will get their allotment of units, which will have a value ascribed to them. You'll take out debt for that amount and buy them. And that'll earn you the right to the profits on on those interests. And then when you leave, they buy the units back from you. Hopefully, after the debt's paid off from a cash perspective for you, um, that's those notes don't usually last. But five to seven years, uh, most people are able to pay off from the cash flows that from in a five to seven year horizon. So, if you know a new equity partner, don't be nice to them for the first five years at least. Don't don't ask them for money until after like the, the yeah. I mean, it's exciting. So. They're a new equity hold, new partner at a big firm. But you're Matthew's right. They've typically taken on some personal debt to go ahead and and become an equity holder. Do yeah, don't be so, don't feel sorry for them. Just don't ask them for money. Yeah, they maybe well, yeah. They've got some. <laughs> they're building an asset, value. right? They're they're so. yeah. Their net worth looks fine. You know, their cash flow yeah. situation may be a little bit constricted for a few years. But so, how does that work in that case, Matthew? Where Year by year, I guess units at that point. Are you getting additional units? Yeah, usually you get additional units, and um, they make it. You know, a lot of times there's a little bit of um, the calculation is kind of done with like they hold back some cash, and you get units instead, right? For cash flow and, and that kind of stuff. And it 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 oftentimes in some organizations like you. And I, I wasn't very close to this. My understanding of it was it usually had to do with who left. So the company bought back shares, right, or units from people. 
And then those units were distributed either to brand new partners or existing partners. And then those people had to buy those units. Uh, so there's a waterfall. You still, had to, but you still had to buy them, but you could pass them. You, you, buy them. Had, okay. you still had to buy them. They didn't retire them. They didn't go to treasury shares or stuff like that. You had to buy them. But usually there was enough cash flow at that point in your existing base to where you weren't paying cash or having to take on debt. You were just taking less cash. So they kind of net cash settled it. Gotcha. If that makes sense to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was that was the normal normal protocol, and it's a few. It was a small enough number of shares every year across the partner base to where it's not more than. It's like you don't have to take out new debt. It wasn't year. like it, exactly. That's what I was getting to. You're not taking out new debt. That first debt slug first is the big slug. Yeah. yeah, the first slug is the big slug for equity partner and most accounting firms. His most typical accounting firms. Really fascinated to see what's going to happen now. I I imagine like these new firms that are moving to these professional companies like we just saw or this private equity backed companies it's going to be the same thing you have to either there's two options now i guess for the c-corps they can get options basically which is just basically saying that you only get value if the thing goes up right so they might be getting options and you have the instead of having to finance that purchase you can exercise that down the road if you want to change your capital gain status, right? Mm-hmm. And then you can make some decisions on that. That'll be super interesting to see what happens in the future on that because you could just have an option scenario where you issue options to those new equity partners because they have to buy. And that's effectively allowing them to buy in without right. doing the debt thing. Right. Uh, like it's effectively debt if you think about the instrument um, that yeah. doesn't have, it's like a, a debt that you, that's, um, what do you call it where you don't have no non-recourse debt? So okay. That could be an option. It's just non-recourse debt if you really think about it. Yeah. So it's just like you could, you could cancel it, not exercise the option, and you don't have the debt. Um, so um, that's kind of interesting to think about if people do that going forward. Yeah. It'll be, I mean, again, interesting to see how that plays out with those partners. And again, I know the desire there with taking on private equity was to try to push some opportunities for taking out value earlier in the life of a partner or earlier as an accounting firm member. You can kind of get those at different points. Those are those tend to be, I guess, more related to probably the private equity cycle of how often they have to recap that yeah. business. Um, but at least there's an instrument there that's a little bit different from, hey, you hold this value uh, in in units, as you mentioned, and historically those were you redeem those and give them up at the end of when you retire, uh, and there may be some payout function there over a period of time. I guess those payouts. So when you let's say someone goes, like, let's say you're a retiring partner um, and you got units, that typically has been they pay those units out all at once, or those are usually paid out over a period of time. Isn't that right? I think there's a debt instrument on the other side for the company okay. to buy those back and do that. I, I think. Um, or they can do it out of cash flow a lot of times. Um, it's different. Some of them have quirky retirement plans too, yeah. like where the units, like they used to have plans, some of them. Um, I just know enough to be barely dangerous on this one. We should, yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. We'll see on one of these episodes we can get. We have a couple of friends who are at those firms now that took on private equity. I wonder if anyone would come on and just talk in general terms about how the economics work now, right? Like how what the I think they're still figuring it out. I think they need I think we need so to, too. Like 2025, they that we could have them on and then they could tell us. 
Well, so, Tiffany, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll try to pin down how of you know at the, at the conference at Bridging the Gap. If, if they're I'm listening, gonna... if they're listening, a couple will say, you know, let us know on the side if you want to come on. It'd be, it'd be, I think people would love to kind of hear a little bit about that. Um, and certainly, you know, that kind of lands us with the outside investors of where historically equity holders have always been accountants. And that's the really unique thing in the past two years is for the first time ever in the history, really in the history of our space, you've got non-accountants who are equity holders, shareholders in accounting firms. That's just the accounting firms. I think some of the cloud firms are a little ahead of that, that weren't. There have been some. Yeah, that's true. There, you're right. There have so been some who did I take on. It was more typical for cash firms to come out and people to use investors to buy existing firms, people to use you know, angels or whatever to buy existing firms. I can think of several in my head as I'm thinking about this that did that. And then... Um, I mean, that was different than kind of mergers and acquisitions kind of financing, which everybody kind of like, there's a debt way to do that. Um, there's a, there's a super interesting SBA product um, for buying out an accounting firm um, though. So that's like the kind of de-risk to the bank, which I never understood why they do so much diligence. if like 80% is guaranteed, but that's all right. Um but the, the, there's some cool SBA ones. If you're buying 100% of somebody out and they're leaving within a year, it's kind of cool. Um, but um, And they're really, like from a term perspective, cool for, for people that are wanting to get into the business and buy somebody out. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are a multitude of ways to do it. And, and again, I think it typically has to do with um, predominantly it's life cycle and stage of firms that probably dict- have, have historically dictated what this has looked like. Um, to your, I think you make a good point. Probably some of the cloud firms were some of the first that had outside investors to really get involved. Now the now it seems like it's leaning swinging heavily over to the more traditional, really really big firms taking on private equity. Um, and so it's kind of an interesting time to think about that. It's 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 easy to kind of get started at some point when you're small and to say, hey, how much have I saved personally, or do I? have a living situation where I'm I'm not the sole breadwinner and I can have someone kind of support while I try to build the firm up a little bit. That probably happens to a lot of folks. But you do get to a size and scale where you have to start thinking more seriously about how do you really capitalize the thing beyond just because you'll you'll typically outstrip your own ability to kind of unless you come <laughs> from some huge trust fund somewhere, but like to keep putting capital into the business, you'll you'll run past it. Yeah. I mean if you just think of like as of the time like when we first, when I first joined and I had to write my first checks because you lied to me into the business um, to cover payroll, um, he, he so lied about how great things were to own a company. Um, so <laughs> I was first writing payroll checks in, you know, it was, we only had 10 of us, right? So, so I, was, I didn't lie about it, but what I did say was uh, it's not, it's not always great. But I think it's better than the situation you've got right now. <laughs> you were you were so that's how bad that's how miserable you were in public accounting. Is uh, I went into that. Well, you lied to me too. I wasn't really miserable in public. Why do you? <laughs> Terry Becker was wonderful, dude. I love those guys. They're so great, um, great advice there. He it was um it was not it wasn't it wasn't I couldn't be as entrepreneurial. There was the real rub for me. Uh, not not a misery thing because uh, I, I did enjoy um, like everybody I worked with there. And the, then what uh, really happened is Matt, you get to learn what on, being entrepreneurial really means. <laughs> I really wanted to know what it was. And Kenji taught me the first week and was like, hey, we got to write checks to make payroll. Great. 
Um, Welcome to entrepreneurship. When it, when that's a five or ten thousand dollar check, you know, to float payroll because you do not have to cover the whole thing usually. Like you, you have some money in the business, hopefully. Um, but now, you know, with 150 people and payroll kind of approaching kind of like the five to seven million a year, like somewhere in there, five to seven million. If you just think five million or six million, say, is what our run rate is, like half a million dollars of salary, like that's just not a month. That's just not a check I'm prepared to write on a monthly basis. So we wish we or, could, but yeah. Or ever, you know, like <laughs> from, a, from a cash perspective, like who has, I mean, I don't, I mean, I, I'm sure we may know some people that have that much cash, um, but the, you can count them on one hand probably um, that that could write that check. So you do have to think about how you capitalize the business and how and working capital and things like that, and really think about line of credits and bank partnerships. I just wish there was a bank that would freaking like step up and like really understand. Understand, what we're doing. yeah, the, the world of accounting. Um, so that's our plea here today on drink. What you think is come on, come on bankers. There's, there's, come on, bankers. <laughs> there's a whole massive industry of 30,000 accounting firms out there looking for that right bank to come through. And we'd be happy to shout it from the mountaintops here on, on our, you know, there's like a hundred thousand accounting firms, dude. hundred thousand accountants, hundred thousand accounting firms. I think it's three. I think it's 30,000. It's not. I know that I've, I've got the, I've got the study those guys did. Oh, those guys. This is how we are every day. Those guys. Who are those guys? The private equity guys. Oh, okay. That was them? five years ago. Do we really trust them? Yes. <laughs> um, well, anyway, we wanted to kind of talk about that. We're, again, we say this because we like talking about- And you want to talk about that. He doesn't ask me what I want to talk about ever. So We don't even bother with that. Again, Matthew just shows up and starts drinking. Uh, that's how we like him best. But, you know, again, it's things we always talk about. These are things we're going through. We are doing some work on continuing to how we, we recapitalize the business to keep it healthy, to keep it sustainable. And I think a lot of firms go through this stuff. So we always want to share things that we're going through and observations we're seeing, experiences we have in the hopes it's helpful to some others out there. So, you know, what's going to, I'm going to be really pissed off in the future one day. I just, if we ever hit this milestone, I've always been told once you hit 20 million in revenue, like the banks kind of change tune. I know that's going to be false, but I have that false hope. And if we ever hit that 20 million in revenue point, I'm going to be like, let's go to a bank. And they're going to be like, every time yeah. we've hit one of our milestones, like, they keep moving the, they move the goalpost, man. Every it's time we worst. hit one of these milestones, we kind of look at go, Hey, we hit it. And we're like, all right. So what? you just kind of keep going. You're like, it's, it's kind of fun as like a milestone, but like, I don't know that we've ever seen a whole lot change except for terms of complexity and how hard, how much harder it gets. Yeah, but if we hit twenty million in revenue and the banks don't drop the line of the, the personal guarantees, I'm going to be so mad. So that's just me. Sorry. All right, let's rate some beers. Um, actually, before we do this, um, yeah. you know we haven't I haven't shown in a long time. We'll show some showing some beer statistics. We tell everyone to come follow us on, you know, Untapped. Look at this. To date, we haven't tracked all of them. But t- you're, you're we were drinking a drink lot of COVID, dude. Check out that month in COVID. We were like going nuts. We're going crazy. But yeah, 217 beers consumed here on Drink What You Think. 203 of them unique. Yeah, um, we've been pretty good about switching it up. I bet 94% this is, new beer ratio. How you like that? We like I bet this, beers. I bet this summer, Shandy, we've already rated. I'm just going to guess. Probably. But, but look at some of these things here. I don't know what Top beers. Look at what it says about top beer. I don't know how they call it top beers. Bud Light next is our second top beer. This this does not. I don't think this means we rated that a two. I gave like a zero. 
Yeah, it was terrible. That was the worst beer we've ever tasted. At least regions here's top, you know, let's check this out. Oh, Mexico, Mexico for sure. Yeah. Mexico, that seems right. Most of our beers here in Georgia than Cali. Oh, yeah. Lots of the, the things in booking. Anyway, anyway, kind of kind of fun to take a look at that. Come on, folks. Jump Five on. o'clock somewhere. Come on, jump on with us and check this stuff out. Um, we're gonna do the line and kugels. Uh, you should have typed in summer shandy, dude. I probably there's probably a few of these. Yeah, but this will be a really one of those. There it is, right there. You're right. Yeah. Okay, we're getting this rating up. We're going four seven five today. I, I, it's almost a like I don't like this kind of beer normally, and it's a it's a I could drink almost all day. So it's great. <laughs> oh, maybe it is unique. I can't believe we haven't. That's a that's the first time we've had other shandies on here before. I think. Wow, we've had I can't believe. So this is a, this is a good cheese. one for me. Like if you aren't normally like an ale fan or anything like that, or don't like IPAs or anything, like this is this is a good one. Yeah, uh, the beeps. You know, this is it's kind of this is very situational, like we talked about, right? I think this is something to where I wouldn't want to drink this all the time on a hot day like today in the summer. It's perfect. It's absolutely kind of perfect. This does. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go a four two five. It lacks yep. a lot of flavor. Like I think it. Could be you can't say lack flavor and give it over a four, dude. Really? It's so drinkable. I mean, I drank that. That's like the fastest beer I've ever consumed on the podcast. That, okay. So we know where Kenji's priority are. On, well, <laughs> when he kind of goes down that quick, I mean it's but the, it does get are, a bar for being three taverns. Three taverns is a good brewery. We like so. them. This should be a little bit more of an old styley beer. It should have a little more flavor to it, but it is crushable. Yeah, I may have to go out to the pool and have a few more of these this afternoon. If um, anybody has a better way to finance their firm, please reach out. Let us know. We would like to know. Like right now, so, actually. Like, let us know. Yeah, like right within, see if we can drop like this, this podcast is, quicker. Today is July 21st when we're recording. So if you can get to us by August 15th with that, that would be helpful. It so. would be great. Thanks, everyone. We would appreciate that help. Cheers to y'all. We'll catch you here next time on Drink Why You Think. Cheers. Cheers.